Welcome to Flock Out, the official podcast of Beyond the Flock Media, where company owner Chris Dolan and media professional Christina Yanata engage in dialogues about the creative process, their love of films, and making your entrepreneurial ambitions a reality. Often we are joined by guests who consist of both clients of Beyond the Flock Media's services, as well as collaborators who have worked with Chris or Christina. The conversation is free-flowing, starting with an exploration of the guests' history and inspirations, and then we flock out to who knows where. Today's guest is Stephen Sedman. Steve is a seasoned photographer with nearly 30 years of experience in his chosen field. He runs a very successful photography business that specializes in capturing weddings, mitzvahs, among many other major family milestone events. Steve holds a Bachelor of Fine Art in Sculpture from Swain School of Design. He belongs to the Professional Photographers of America and has earned both his photographic craftsman and master photography degrees. Steve is also a past president of the Professional Photographers Association of Massachusetts. We are humbled to welcome Steve to the show. Hi, Steve. How are you doing today? Excellent. How are you? Good. So how did you get started with all of this? Is this something that you've always wanted to do Um What's your story behind where you are today? Well, I guess you could say my earliest origin story is I didn't want to do the same thing as my dad, but ended up doing exactly the same thing as my dad. (laughs) (laughs) My father was a photographer, uh, but he was a different kind of photographer. He shot uh, when he was, I should say, when I was born, he was on assignment in Austria photographing for National Geographic. Oh, wow. So he missed my birth for that reason. And I always heard about that growing up. So I was like, photographers are people that are never around when you need them. So, you know, you shouldn't be doing this job far away from home when your family might need you kind of thing. Uh, He also shot stills for Columbia Pictures. He he did a lot of different kinds of photography and had several different photography businesses besides shooting uh, freelance for several magazines and things. Um, I decided I wanted to do something different, but being raised basically by two hippies, uh, I was bound for the arts. And I have a bachelor's degree in sculpture. Uh, and I decided as a sculptor, it's something totally different than photography. I'm not going to be following my father's footsteps at all. Uh, even though from the age of five, I was shooting medium format. And by the age of six, I was printing my own pictures in a darkroom. So I had a very solid understanding from a very early age, the mechanics of everything. Uh, and also exposed to a lot of photography and art and that, that sort of thing. Little did I realize that sculpture and photography are pretty much the exact same thing. It's the study of how light affects a three-dimensional object. So you get right back to that same base. Uh, but when I was in college, uh, a, a fellow student of mine uh, was getting married in my senior year. And they were like, Steve, you know, we love your photography. Uh, we really were hoping you could photograph the wedding. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm not a photographer. I'm a sculptor. No, but we've seen some of the photography you do. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Well, we'll pay $800. And I'm like, $800? Well, as a starving photographer, uh, sculpture student, that was like, hmm, yeah, maybe I could do this. And then that kind of triggered the, hmm, there's probably a lot more commissions for photography than there are for sculptures. Although I did do several sculptures for commission, uh, the photography became a little bit more readily available revenue stream than sculpture marketing-wise. So it seems like you were pretty adamant about steering away from photography. Um when you had that um, first um, job, that first wedding job for your friends, um, did it just kind of click for you that like, yes, this is 
what I'm going to do? Or were you still in the back of your mind? Like, no, I want to do something different. (laughs) It's really funny because that job, uh, hearkening back to that, um, I made it hundred percent clear that I'm not a wedding photographer. I had (laughs) not even gone to a regular wedding at that point in my life. So I had no idea what to expect. And I did zero research as I would highly recommend to any potential wedding photographers out there, you know, learn your field before you do it. But having full disclosure that that I'm a non-representational sculptor and you're asking me to photograph a wedding, you're going to get what you should expect from a non-representational sculptor for your wedding photography. I did not take any pictures of the bride and her dad walking down the aisle because that did not interest me. I told my only interest things that photograph things that would interest me. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, I only photographed what caught my eye. <laughs> at the end of it, I decided it wasn't so bad. And look at that. I've got a free meal out of it too. You know, so that's a bonus. Uh, you know, people are happy and having a good time. And uh, I decided to do some more photography at that point, even though, again, I was very technically skilled. So exposure and lighting and composition were not an issue, but it was really a matter of what don't I know. At the time, I had no idea what I didn't know, uh, but I enjoyed it. And they enjoyed what they got. That quickly grew into a much bigger part of my my income. And um, then as I saw the income potential and actually enjoyed working with people because the sculptor's life is pretty lonely. You're working with whatever materials you're working with. Some of it, you can't have people around. Like you're welding steel. You can't really be having people chit-chatting around during a conversation while you're welding and that sort of thing. Uh, So the interaction with people, uh, it turns out I'm really a people person. So photography works much better than the sculpture in the end. Although I did do several sculptures and I still do paintings and things like that. Uh, the photography became my first love at that point. And then I realized I had to learn more because now I knew I needed to you know, further myself that way. And I studied with a lot of different photographers. I joined the associations such as PPAM, which is the Professional Photographers of Massachusetts, PPA, the national organization, and going to their conventions and studying with some photographers that I met through the association, I learned that I really had a lot to learn. When you, when you were starting out, I mean, um, you probably didn't have enough money flowing in to just live off of, right? I mean, you, you had to build your business to a place where, you know, you could afford a mortgage, afford to live and everything. Sure. Um, so how did you get there? And I guess what I also what I want to ask is like, what challenges did you face in growing your business? What, what, what did you believe were the biggest hurdles to actually get successful enough to live off of? So, um, one thing to really keep in mind is uh, times were a little different when I started my business. I started in 1990, uh, 1990, 1991, in that range. Uh, there was no internet. There was no just get your name out there in social media and that sort of thing. It was paid advertising or word of mouth. Those are pretty much your two options. Uh, or nepotism, if you had somebody in the business. <laughs> uh, so I uh, found that when I worked with people and impressed them, they would, uh, of course, mention me to other people. When I worked with a venue such as, you know, the Blue Hill Country Club or, you know, uh, the Marriott Longmore from Boston or the Boston Harbor Hotel. When I worked with these venues and people liked what I did, I was professional, I was on time, I was cooperative. That's all they really care about. And they know the clients were happy. Then they were happy to recommend me to people. So getting on people's recommended lists will help build business. And that quickly moves you into that space where you can then afford to, to run your business. Uh, but acquiring a customer base is the hardest thing for a new photographer to to achieve that and of course uh, most photographers feel they have to get their quality of their work up there to a certain point and get samples when really that is secondary to the volume issue if you're doing more work you get better Uh, the more you photograph the better you get it's just simple practice 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 
So if you're starting off early photographing just your spouse or your children or your siblings or whatever, the more you work, the better you'll get. That takes care of that part of it. Mm -hmm. But it's the really the, the business, the marketing and all that. So um, renting out my first retail studio uh, space was, of course, a big challenge getting that uh, going. And then, of course, keeping enough customers going through the door to pay for that and grow it, uh, you know, allowing for a marketing budget. Because marketing in those days was print advertising uh, and bridal shows uh, for I, the wedding I, end of things. I think I heard you say something to me once. It's like your job is actually like 90% marketing and 10% photography, or something like that. As far as the amount of effort that goes into it, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it takes a lot of effort to get to the right place uh, photography-wise, but once yeah. you've achieved that, uh, then you still never end your, your marketing job. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's some amazing photographers out there that aren't very busy because they're not very good at marketing or business in general, you know? Something I want to point out, because I've been working with you, I forget how many years now, it's at least two or three. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've observed a very, um, I, I mean, I admire something about you. I've, and I've observed it that you really take command of situations, um, almost any situation you're in that has to do with photography. And it's almost like, and I don't think a lot of people understand this, but a lot of people do assume it, how important a photographer is to a wedding, how much they almost steer it <laughs> in terms of the direction it's going. But I think, you know, there's a trade-off there because sometimes people blame the photographer for all the problems that are going on. Yet also, I'm on the other side, the photographer is actually driving things and like keeping things on time. I mean, I don't know if you can speak that to that a little bit. How did you, you know, get this, um, I guess, commanding attitude without being, you know, an ass, um, and, but able to drive the wedding um, along and keep it going? Like, did that just, is that just, you know, feeling comfortable with the format of weddings? How did you develop that? <laughs> well, that is a great question. And, and it's a great observation that you made. But I think that being willing to take responsibility, because you said it, you're blamed if something goes wrong. Yeah. I realized early on that I was going to get blamed. I walked into a church. The bride was a half an hour late. And the first thing the priest did is say, oh, our photographer is finally here. He's probably the reason we're late to the whole congregation. They're all staring at me. The bride's still standing outside. <laughs> I wasn't the reason we were late, but I got blamed because that's what you do. You blame the photographer. You can't blame the bride. It's her day, right? So if I'm going to get blamed, then I'm going to make sure we're to the church on time as much as I can, because that was a very embarrassing experience when I was a young photographer, probably only two years in the business. There's certain churches uh, that are a lot hotter on a photographer, no flash allowed. Uh, I can't, if I see or notice you, I will throw you out. There's others that are really welcoming and they're like, hey, whatever you have to do to get a great photograph for the bride and groom, we're all here for the bride and groom today because we want to celebrate their love uh, in uh, God's eyes and all that. And that's all wonderful. And there's that whole range, but you have to be prepared to deal with any kind of uh, an efficient, whether it's a religious one or a lay person. Uh, and if you can get the bride to the church on time and you can get those formals done on time and they can start their party on time, everybody's happier. Yeah. The coordinator is happy that the food got on the tables at the right time and everybody's happy. And they, they say how great the food was instead of it being cold because the bride was late to the church and then the formals took too long. And then you're an hour late to the reception and everybody's unhappy and they're going to blame the photographer, even if it's not your fault. So I found that I could take command of the situation, keep people on time in a subtle but nice way. So the bride's getting ready by showing up and scheduling it early enough. It builds in cushion time. The bride's running late. It's absolutely expected. But I build in some cushion to that a list of instructions. And those instructions happen way before the wedding. 
Make sure the flowers are delivered to the house so we'll be able to photograph them then. Tell the florist that they'll be there an hour before we actually need the flowers, but sometimes florists show up late. We don't want to stress you out. Make sure the limo is there half an hour before you actually want them to go away. That way you don't have to stress about where's the limo? Is he going to get here on time? Uh, where's the dress going to be hanging? Is it going to be on a hanger? Do you have a hanger that looks cool? Or is it going to be on this pink fuzzy thing that came from the dry cleaner? Think about these details and talk about them ahead of time. And years of experience, tell me what to tell them to watch out for. Uh, and also, oh, you're having hair and makeup done at your home. How many bridesmaids are there? How much time did they say it would take? A less experienced hair and makeup person can easily eat up three hours instead of an hour and a half and make the whole wedding late. And it's not, again, the photographer's fault, but that's where the compromise will happen. I, 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 was, I was kind of laughing early on because I was like, I saw that you actually know more about brides' dresses than bridal parties. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've had to bustle the dress. I've had yeah. to help fix them when there's... Uh, you know, malfunction. Uh, I keep a needle and thread in my bag. I have sewed many a dress. I've had to trim a bride's dress that she was stripping on that nobody had the intestinal fortitude to take a scissors to the bride's dress and make it shorter on the day of her wedding. I was like, you know what? Somebody's going to do this. And so I just took the scissors. I cut the bride's dress six inches off of that dress. How could they not know that the dress was too long? I don't understand that to this day, but whatever. And then I rolled it under and stapled the dress. That was the quick fix and you couldn't notice it. It's there, it worked, it looked great in pictures. The bride wasn't tripping on it, she was happy. Everybody's happy. A lot of people probably wouldn't take the scissors to the bride's dress on the, on the day of the wedding, but I'm gonna do whatever I have to to make everybody happy. If I don't think that it's something I can pull off, I'm not gonna to touch it, of course, because I don't wanna make anything worse. But if I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, I can fix that. I'm gonna jump right in to fix that. Right, one thing I wanna to add to what I believe contributes to your mastery of um, you know, weddings, um, your relationship with caters. Um, I think you're very respectful um, of your relationship to them and you realize that you're both working towards the same thing. I notice not, and I'm not gonna speak of any specific photographers, but I notice not every photographer has the same kind of appreciation and sometimes they feel almost like, um, I don't know, competitive or you know, in, in competition with other caterers for the right spot or the, the right time or something. But I, I think because you, you know, you treat them the right way, you realize you're going to see these people again, I guess, you know, yeah. you're going to work with them. They know you by name when, when I've worked with you. I mean, they're like, Hey, Steve, it's like, Oh, we're old friends. You, you probably see them every week, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I find that if you don't ever want to be in a combative situation with anybody, because it, you don't, even if you have the attitude that you can ignore people that have ill will towards you, you're going to see them again. You don't want to have somebody having ill will towards you. You want to, we're all working there for the same purpose. My goal that day of that wedding above all else is for the bride to have a great experience. I already know I'm going to produce amazing images that she is going to tell all her friends what a wonderful job I did. So with that in mind, I'd have to worry about the photography because I know I've got that down. What will make that go up or down? Well, if she has a great experience of her wedding day, she's going to be that much more happy and, and chatty about how wonderful everything was, whether it's the food or me or anybody else. I want it to be a positive experience overall. I don't want to be the only thing that didn't suck at her wedding. You know? So if I can do anything to make it better, I'm going to do whatever I can. Uh, if that means making sure the food gets out on time, to make sure the first dance starts on time, that the cake cutting is okay. Uh, the videographer has got a bellyache. We need a delay for, uh, for introduction so he doesn't you know, get the black eye of not being there for introductions. I'm going to do whatever I can to smooth that. I'm not going to say, hey, your videographer's in the bathroom. You better not do anything. I'm going to just say, hey, you know what? I want to do a couple more pictures around the corner here and then we'll be ready and the timing will be perfect. Oh, well, okay. You know, and that way I covered up for the videographer. Didn't make him look bad. 
and everybody's happy because she got more. It wasn't about not getting something. It was about getting something more, you know? Another thing that you've also been mentioning a lot is that it seems like there is, I mean, this goes without saying, but there is a lot of planning and a lot of coordination and a lot of pre-production that goes into the day of an event, an event, especially a wedding. So leading up to the day, like how many times will you either meet with a bride and groom or plan out what that day is going to look like? What process is that like? Sure. Great question. Uh, I love talking to my clients and the more, the better. Uh, at that said, the, if you do it too far out, then people kind of forget things, but you also want to be in contact with them early enough. So when the decisions are made on their timeline and things like that, you can have a little positive influence. I'm happy to support them, whatever they pick for their timeline. But if they decide we're going to have the ceremony and start the reception 20 minutes later, and we want pictures of 37 groups, that's an unrealistic expectation. So we need to make sure they are aware that we need to build in some time for that. So you want to hit them early enough to do that, but then also communicate it again later because they will forget details. So there's the initial consultation, uh, whether that's on the phone or in person, but then I like to get them into the studio so they can put their hands on real albums and see wall portraits hangings to kind of get an idea, not only of the timeline of the day and all that, but be looking towards the future of, oh, I'm going to want to put a picture of my wall in my house. And, oh, look at all these weddings. And I can look at these albums and get some ideas for my wedding. Brides love looking at my wedding albums. I have dozens of wedding albums from many, many different years and styles of weddings. So they can look at them and say, talk, look at bridesmaids, dresses, flowers, cakes, venues. If the earlier they're, they meet me in the process, the more they can get out of looking at the wedding albums. Besides the beautiful photography, they get lots of great wedding ideas too. Then we can talk about planning their wedding day. And some want a lot of input from me because they realize I have a lot of experience. Others are like, oh, you know, we have a party planner. And then like, oh, this is a more hands-off bride. Some can have a party planner be hands-on, but some are hands-off. Then I want to talk to the party planner to make sure the party plans all those things ahead. And if the party planner is only going to be from the ceremony on, then I'm going to still talk to the bride about getting ready expectations. Make sure you have your flowers, your jewelry, your shoes, and any accessories laid out on the table. When I arrive, I want to take a picture of them. I'll arrange them nice and neat. Don't worry about that. Just have everything in one place that way I can find it. Uh, that does two things. It makes sure they have all this stuff so they're not hunting around for it. As I have seen in my earlier days of hunting through bags and there's 27 bags around the room all making a mess and trying to find stuff. And I can actually do a nice little artful arrangement of the accessories and take a nice, uh, you know, behind the scenes photo, if you will. But to focus more on your initial question of how many times, I like to talk to people a minimum of three times, but really it could be as many as a dozen times. An engagement session is a great way to develop a great rapport with a couple. Uh, if they book me for an engagement session as well as the wedding, we get to talk a lot more. I like to do a little circuit of, a, of an environment. So if we go to the beach or the park or wherever we're going to go do the session, there's lots of different places I recommend. Uh, we'll start off and I'll do about a mile of walking and talking and, and photographing. And, you know, could we find one spot that you would have to walk much? Sure. But I like to move around, move through the environment. It's a little bit more like the real wedding day is going to be because we're going to hit multiple locations in the wedding day. Uh, and they get the experience of being in front of the camera. They get more relaxed about it if they were nervous about it at all. And we talk about their wedding, which the brides usually love because it helps them really, you know, visualize that wedding day. Uh, and the more they can visualize it, the closer they feel to achieving that goal that they want. Weddings have a lot of images. I, um, I told one of my friends that I would edit photos of her friend's engagement photos. Yep. And they said that they needed them edited within like two to three weeks and there were like 90 images and they wanted all of the images 
done. I had no say in what images would be done or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do you handle something like that? Because that was just engagement photos. I can't imagine how many images you'd have to go through for a wedding. So there's a couple of different ways to handle that situation. Um, expectations of what retouching is and then helping them narrow it down to really the images they want to share. If I'm going to do an engagement session, for instance, I'm like, let's talk about what your goal is. And then I'll help you narrow it down on the number of images that are appropriate. So I'll actually sit with the couple from an engagement session. We'll do a slideshow of all the images so they can enjoy them. I may shoot anywhere from 80 to 300 images, depending on the venue that we picked for the engagement session, the number of spots we spot stopped, if they change outfit multiple times, you know, there's lots of different factors. Uh, when they see all the images, then we go through and we compare things. If I took three shots of a particular pose, you know, we can eliminate two out of those three really quick. And I just say, yes, no, or maybe. Tap, tap, tap. As we're going through them in Lightroom, I'll just flag them with an X to make it, you know, visually delete, even though it's not really deleted. You know, P for pick for the favorite. And we go through. And now my, let's say we started with 100, I narrow down to 30 pretty quick. Out of those 30, then I'm like, all right, let's figure out what you want to do with these. Oh, you want to get a picture for the wall for mom. So I'm going to write that down. We need to pick a picture for mom. We want to make a signature board for when all the guests walk into the wedding. We can have a picture of you with the wedding date beneath it, lots of white around it for everybody to sign. Great option. Let's do one of those. Oh, you want to do some save the dates. That's super popular too. Save the date. That can be anywhere from one to five images. So one to five images for save the date. And then the most cumbersome product, if you will, is the guest book. I have these guest books that are designed with a variety of images that show a lot of variety. That may have as many as you know 30 to 40 images. So that's going to be the maximum number. If we have any more images than that, we eliminate the images before we start anything. It's less work to just say we're done at 90, but it's a lot more work later on. I'd rather spend an extra half an hour with a couple helping them narrow them down. That way they're getting the best story. And then of course, what's your expectation of retouching? If I'm gonna design a, a, a guest book, in some of those images, the bride and groom's head is this big. Guess what? I don't need to re, you know, retouch out any fine lines or anything like that, because we're not gonna see that in the printed product. Uh, if it's a close-up, then we're also gonna retouch uh, detail. But if the head's very small and it's gonna be small in a book, no need to retouch that. You adjust the color, density, uh, you know, contrast, maybe some burning and dodging to give attention to what you want to give to, but those are very quick things in Lightroom. Uh, real retouching, leave it only for the ones that, that need it. Uh, and of course, the bottom line is uh, outsource. If you're too busy, outsource it. Uh, there's different companies, uh, United States-based companies that I use that do a great job at a very reasonable price. I, I think something that unifies, you know, we're talking about all aspects of, you know, um, meeting with the client and then, you know, delivery, deliverables, I think something that unifies everything you do, uh, Steve, is a kind of sense of pragmatism in everything that you're doing. I mean, from the point you take the picture, you don't take a thousand pictures of one thing. I noticed you only take like two. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, because, you know, there's so many things you have to cover. And I think your attention is always on, you know, what's next? What am I, what am I, you're already thinking about, you know, like in chess, you're thinking about two moves ahead. You're not just thinking about the next yeah. move. Um, but I think it all trans translates all the way down to the deliverable stage when you put these wedding albums together. And that's why you're talking about not having five images of the same thing in the album. You're, you're, you're building a story and it's like a kid's storybook in a way, you know, you open it and then you go from page one to the end and it's the whole day from beginning to end. And they look at it and it, it communicates an emotion. And it's just like, I mean, I can relate this a little bit to films. 
if you're watching a film and there's a scene that doesn't help carry the story, you get taken out of the film, you know, and it kind of destroys the experience for you. So I think everything you're doing is contributing to the result of getting either the client to come back or, you know, just to love you. And I remember you said something to me at one point, it's like, if, if, if a client just loves the pictures, um, they're, they're not going to focus so deeply on the quality of everything. It's not to say take crappy pictures or anything. It's just to say, focus more on making them happy, I guess. You know? Yep. The whole experience. Yeah. It's funny. I want to, I want to restate one thing you said. Yeah. You said it's kind of like a children's book. Chris, Sorry. it quite literally is a yeah. children's book. <laughs> Their kids will be looking at this. This is their origin story yeah. of their children. This is where they came from, from this wedding. And I, I have three daughters. And if you don't think that all three of those of my daughters have looked at my wedding album <laughs> and some of it's laughing at the clothes that we wore then because it was the 90s and whatever, you know, but it's, you know, look at the relatives, look how young they are, uh, look how happy mom and dad were, you know, during the first dance, you know, this is a children's book. And having had that experience of all that time to be able to really focus in, this is really something that tells your story forward. You're going to enjoy it now, but it's for generations in the future to enjoy too. With last year being the year that it was, and also (laughs) um, bleeding into this year, did you shift what you were working on? Did you start working on different projects or anything like that? Great question. And it's still 2020 as far as I'm concerned. This is still the same year. (laughs) Uh, I've been doing some personal projects. Um, Recently, I photographed some flowers uh, underwater uh, through a fish tank, which sounds kind of weird, but it's a really cool visual. Um, I got a fish tank, filled it up with water, weighed down the flowers because they had this tendency of wanting to float. So I had a timer on a rock, basically with zip ties, get them to the bottom of the tank. Then I dropped white paint into the fish tank, which then ends up looking kind of like smoke floating around the water uh, and photographed the glass with the proper lighting. So you got no reflections. It's a really cool ethereal kind of look. I have another image that I wanted to do last week, but the weather didn't cooperate. That's got to do with chickens. <laughs> it's a kind of an artsy take on chickens. Uh, my brother luckily has chickens. Uh, so I'm gonna be going to photograph his chickens in a certain environment. Uh, probably next week if the weather, but we've had so many cloudy days. I haven't been able to get his chickens on a sunny day. Um, but you know, these different little projects, they keep you sharp. They keep you fresh. You can think creative uh, ways to view an old subject. Uh, it's all about lighting, composition, shape, color. All those skills are still there and exercised. Uh, my youngest daughter, Ariel, who still lives with us, uh, has been photographed many, many times throughout the pandemic because it's like, Hey, it's snowing outside. Let's do a, a Game of Thrones looking snow portrait outside. Five minutes outside, kind of cool, you know, artsy portrait. Uh, oh, we're doing a high school senior in Boston. Let's photograph you after the senior session's done and do a cool shot of you, um, you know, in Boston. So I'm always uh, doing that. It's her senior year too. So instead of having like one high school senior session, she's having a session throughout the whole year, basically after everybody else's session. I, I think that creativity um, sh- shows in your work too. Like if it's, if it's a mitzvah or a wedding, I noticed, you know, towards the end, I think you really try to think of something really out of the box at a lot of them. Um, it could be at like the end of the wedding, you think of some kind of shot um, that's, that's non-conventional and you try to set it up um, and you usually put a lot more work into that shot than the other shots, uh, I guess a little more perfectionism, <laughs> yeah. um, which is not, it's not necessarily doesn't go with like the schedule of a wedding, but you do try to do that anyway. And it's like, you're trying to give more to the client than they asked for. 
and also create something that somebody, somebody I think could, who looks at the book that has nothing to do with the family could be like, oh, that's a really unique wedding photo. I mean, it's what, what attracted me, me to your work. I mean, when I was trying to um, start finding a photographer to work, on, work with or kind of apprentice me, I think what attracted me to your work was um, kind of the cinematic quality of it. There was a lot of stuff that was very shallow depth um, and you were really composing the people in, in, the, um, in the portraits in a way. It wasn't every one of your photos, but I noticed a couple had that kind of real attention to detail. And I was like, wow, he can do this like in the middle of a wedding, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I thank you for pointing that out, Chris. Yeah. And you know, cinematic is a great word that I actually like a lot because yeah. there's, there's the traditional photographer and then there's the photojournalistic photographer. And I think cinematic's kind of right in the middle because mm -hmm. it's action, but it's kind of posed and contrived too. Uh, you can't make, well, you can capture a moment and that's amazing, but that moment may not happen. And very often weddings don't give you the latitude of creating those moments. So I don't want to monopolize the client's time because I want them to just experience the wedding and enjoy it. But I let them know at some point, I'm going to come over and say, I need five minutes of your time. And if you cooperate for that five minutes, you're going to have an amazing image. And they're always like, sure, absolutely, we're game. But I don't want to take them away from their party too much. That's why I keep it to a couple of images like that for five minutes, as opposed to like, oh, let's take an extra hour out of your day and do some amazing things, which I could. And some people are game for that. But generally speaking, I want to only be a little bit of an imposition on their, their night, not make it a major part of, of the evening. So yeah, there's always more than one way to, to deal with a situation. And flexibility, creativity, and thinking ahead is really, I think, the best advice I can give to anybody. Thank you for listening. For more information about Beyond the Flock Media, check out our website, beyondtheflockmedia.com. Or you can catch the latest news and updates on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages. Until we meet again, don't forget to flock out! <laughs>